Hey guys, welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris and Jake is not here. And I have a very, very special Overcrest Rally recap commiserator here with me, Mr. Matt Crook. He's the founder of 1552 and brand wizard. There's all kinds of things that you guys see out there, especially if you're a Porsche guy. He's got his he's got his fingers in this stuff and he's waving the magic wands around and making sure all these amazing things are happening. The man behind the closed door, Mr. Matt Crook. How's it going, man? Hey, what's up, Chris? Going uh, going fantastic, actually. You must be losing your ever-living mind with Luft coming up in a couple of weeks. Yes, most definitely. We are uh, we are grinding and uh, kind of getting everything situated, but we're we're pretty excited for what's to come. It's uh, it's going to be a great event, and um, more more than anything, I'm just excited to see all the people again. You know, once a year we all get together, so it's always a good time. Yeah, I'm gonna. I left the Mercedes there. Um, Partly because I didn't feel like driving it home again. <laughs> and uh, partly I thought it would be fun to bring it up there and kind of just shove it in all the Porsche guys' faces, of course. You know, just like, hey, check this thing. I don't have my 911, but here you go. Look at this thing. Yeah, I built the whole thing for like the price of, you know, um, rebuilding your heads. So that, I, I like it. I think it's good. <laughs> I could have built the whole car for the amount I'm paying for my engine to be rebuilt almost three times. I could, yeah, exactly. I could have built the whole car, have 3D manifolds printed, carburetors, penta wheels, Recaros, Bilsteins. Every single bushing is new. Like every, it's it's insane. It is absolutely, so awesome. it is nuts. Which it's like, I don't know, it's kind of confusing to me because when you look at, I, this is, I hate this conversation because I don't care about the value of my car. But if you look at the production numbers of 911s, this all makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> but it does. Well, I guess it doesn't back up your theory uh, in the context of um, your your grenade. But theoretically, <laughs> the nice thing about owning a Porsche is you can just keep driving it, but it performs like, you know, a supercar. I mean, it really does do that for you and you can continue to abuse it um, as long as your oil lines stay on. Yeah, so exactly. I mean, I you know. my car doesn't owe me a cent. I mean, I, I beat the ever living hell out of that thing for 70,000 really hard miles. Oh, it's so good. I think, and it is interesting though, right? I mean, I think that uh, people put a value specifically of fun on a number sometimes. And I think uh, you, even you doing what you're doing with that Mercedes kind of, it shows the excitement and fun and just like, you know, the smile per dollar that you can get uh, in regards to value uh, this day and age, looking at other cars and kind of being creative. Um, I don't know, just kind of, I feel like there's a lot of wins out there right now that people aren't necessarily looking at. Oh yeah. I think you're the car that you were going to bring on the rally is one of those, the, uh, yeah. the good old 4,000, which kind of came up in conversation that we were having over text messages. One time I was like, how about one of these? And all of a sudden you, <laughs> you produced one that is super mint. Yeah. It's a really, really cool car. Um, I just wish it would cooperate with me. It's just, uh, yeah, I am not a CIS ninja. So, um, you know, I uh, need the assistance of someone that is. So, you know, through through the kitchen sink at it and just wasn't happy. So we'll, we'll get it all fixed up and get it all organized. And I think that might be my rally car uh, moving forward that I can have fun with and build out just because it is ridiculously comfortable. Sounds amazing. Um, the all-wheel drive is obviously a plus. And um, as I'm getting older, um, you know, something at rally height on long drives is actually really nice. So. Like once you earn that that merit badge or that patch of martyrdom of s destroying the underside of your car enough times, you're just like, I don't want to do it anymore. 
Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, I'll do it on the weekends, but during the <laughs> week, I just, I just don't want to smash my car on the ground. <laughs> so, so you're super good at making things sound super awesome. And so if you okay. had to describe you were, you've been on the rally twice yes. and tell us about your experience on the rally and why you came back a second time and, and what the Overcrest rally means to you. Well, I mean, Jake's paying me off. I don't know if you know that. I, but, I assumed, um, I assumed it's, 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 it's a blast. No, I, I, I mean, I mean, obviously one part of that is I've known you for a better part of, which is insane, probably 23 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think one, I'm ridiculously proud of what you and Jake and Jeff have created. So, uh, as a friend, it's, you know, ridiculous, fun just to kind of get back in that mix and like be a part of the vision that you guys had for that and i think for me living in that vision is like fantastic and any chance i can get to kind of get back to the innocent like sort of passion like driven things that the the 16 year old me would have thought was like the coolest thing in the world i try and do um just to kind of stay young, keep my brain focused in that mentality to be excited about things. And, and I think that, you know, being so involved in the automotive industry that I am, I tend to be extremely jaded. Um, so it's kind of like, I've seen everything I've, you know, been around that, but what I haven't done, you know, is spent enough time with amazing people, like doing the things that I love and kind of doing it outside of the, business i guess you could say it's it's really just me and my car and some good people and um and no cell phone service which means you can't work even if you wanted to exactly and i'm not and i'm not meeting you know i'm not this isn't like going somewhere that is fun and obviously i love the business that i do but i'm not going there for business and then also kind of enjoying it because obviously i love cars i mean you know that's kind of my creative outlet so in regards to putting that together i think this is a place that I get to go to kind of just be me. Um, and, and I, and I enjoy that. I mean, there's always something new, there's always something fresh. I mean, and, and I'm, I'm meeting new people and doing the, it's just a large portion of it feels like the old school VW vortex days of just a bunch of eclectic people getting together and, you know, having fun. And I think that's part of it. I think I miss the aspect of things are so things are just this day and age. So, put into specific buckets, you know, um, of what type of car person you are, or what's this or what, what's that. But, you know, back in the day, especially in BW Vortex, it was such an eclectic group. I mean, it's like everybody was just into VW. So you, you go to some get together and it's some metalhead with some homie with some like, you know, mm-hmm. guy who plays piano. Like, I mean, just the most eclectic group, but what brought them together is their love for these cars and those types of things. And I think in certain ways, uh, the lifestyle aspect, which I love sometimes kind of gets overcrowded in certain things. And then there's a specific vibe to what that person does, as opposed to stepping out and meeting different people and experiencing different type of kind of experiences. Um, and I think Overcrest has that because people are driving from everywhere, you know, it's not just all the SoCal people. Um, and Lificult's obviously like that as well, which is fun. And I think, um, I don't know, it's just a different flavor. And, and I think obviously what you guys do, you do it well. So do you think that as, as you've gone through your life and you've, and you really kind of steered into the automotive industry. And as you say that, <clears throat> excuse me, as you say that you look at like something like Overcrest as like, I don't want to say it's an escape from that other stuff, but it's this, this off ramp where you're able to go back 
and appreciate the way the things the way that you maybe have used to or the way that you missed or the way that you can't anymore. Is there any part of you that wishes that you would have done something else so that you could just appreciate the car stuff all the time? Man, that's like so interesting because I think about that all the time because as a kid, you know, it's like you hear that quote like, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And it's like, <laughs> well, do what you love and you just might be broke the rest of your life, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it's it's tough. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I still love it. I, I love my cars. I love all my stuff. But obviously, there's an amount of excitement within certain things that just isn't there anymore because it's either mandatory or I'm so behind the scenes that I don't necessarily get to enjoy um, some of the things that were just enjoyment. Um, and as you get to know things better, it just becomes different, you know, like seeing your favorite band, all of a sudden you get to know them and you go backstage and everything. And you realize like, Oh, these are just normal dudes. And actually they're kind of dorky and like, <laughs> they're really weird. And why is this guy on drugs and foaming on the, you know, foaming <laughs> at the mouth? Okay. Well maybe they aren't as cool. So at which point the music isn't as special. So the second you get behind that veil, you see, a lot more of what's going on. I'm not going to say it's a bad thing by any means, but you just get caught up on it in, in the minutia of doing business. And obviously that changes. I mean, like I said, I mean, as a kid, I was always thinking to myself, man, like this guy's starting a, you know, toothbrush company or whatever, you know, some random product or, you know, wants to do real estate. Like how lame is that, man? Like do something you love, you know? And as I've gotten older, I've realized, you know, um, just with different startups and working on companies and, working in companies and helping companies. I mean, there's an aspect um, to business that you need to obviously produce money to live. And then you also need to have fun. And even looking at companies like Porsche, I mean, they have to make the Macans and Cayennes to afford to do the GT3s, you know? Um, And I think in life, you know, I look at it that way. I, I, you know, it's, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe looking back and doing everything, I may have done certain things differently, but I obviously have no regrets, but, but as I go on my path, I definitely have learned different things. And, um, even now we're working with a lot of companies outside of the automotive industry, which is ridiculously refreshing and kind of a new frontier. How do those companies compare to like, if you're talking now we're talking about your, your branding work. So you left 1552, and you moved into doing like branding strategy and stuff like that. How do you compare? I look at, sorry, let me reframe this. So you have cars and cars are something that when you, when you look at the commercial and the way that cars are um, marketed to people, it's very, very, this is the type of person that drives that car, whether it's, sure. you know, Porsche or you can look at their brand marketing on social. You can see exactly the type of the person they're going for. Same with like Subaru or, or whoever, you know, they all do it. They all have a certain type of of, of mold of a customer that they're looking for. Obviously they want everyone, but they, they, they know who their target market is very specifically. And people therefore can kind of use the way that the brands are putting out their identities and go, this is the type of person I am. I want that car to help define who I am. And people can do that. I think they do that with clothing and a few other things, but cars are very, very one of those things. Have you, with the other brands that you've started working with, which I didn't even know you were, geez, you're doing so much. Um, are, have you noticed a, a, a difference in the way that those other companies approach branding? Have you tried to filter the way that you have always done car stuff into, into their brands or how is that all coming together in terms of contrast? Well, I mean, cause in my past, you know, I, I was in the automotive industry working, you know, running, tuning Zubohor, bringing stuff in from Germany while I was like 17. And then, you know, 2006, six years later, um, or 
yeah, seven years later, jumped into you know the music industry, you know, going on tour, playing in my own bands, doing those things, and then jumped into the fashion industry and. You know, we're doing brands, you know, denim, selling into Barney's, Fred Siegel, doing those things, capsule collections for Target. And I I mean, I have a very well-rounded, I guess, portfolio of things that I've done. But realistically, like the the main detail there is like it's always what I've done is always things that are emotional and things I've been attached to and things that I love. And similar to cars, like what you're saying, I think um, the contrast in what I'm doing now with some of these other companies is that like, you know, while selling a car and this type of person and all of those things, like they're learning more and more that it's an emotional response that they need to sell certain vehicles. Um, and I think it's hard to compete with so many other people and do all these different things and continually reinvent yourself. And the, the fun part about some of these other companies is that they're like a product that's not emotional. So when you can actually put emotion behind that, because I don't care even if it's paint you know i mean there are people out there that nerd out on paint and enjoy this stuff and see it and you know all these different things and there's people that appreciate that or you know aspire to be whatever a paint scientist i have no idea but like (laughs) all of a sudden you put you're putting emotion into these things and a little bit of attitude and having some fun and it really all of a sudden changes what is sort of like a very archaic sort of like dinosaur industry and focus into something that's a little bit more exciting and a little, a little more light there is shown and a little more um, personality within these companies. And I think it's really fun to kind of help brands uh, find their identity or reinvent their identity. um, You ever sit there and watch old commercials like on YouTube and just go to like 1970s commercials and it'll be like Cheerios, 100% of your daily vitamin of this. And and it's got, it's whole grains and buy our cereal. (laughs) It ain't like that anymore. (laughs) But what were our our favorite commercials were like Mentos, you know, or like those types of, I mean, it was just brilliant. I mean, like they were all selling, you know, um, majority of them selling a lifestyle, selling something that, that you wanted an emotional response, which, you know, obviously everybody's doing that today with certain things, but there's still a many industries where that doesn't apply. Um, just because these things are either just like, they're not like want products, they're need products. So they mm-hmm. just move regardless and the distribution's in place and everything's working. So why change it? But the difference is obviously if they don't keep up with the times and these other companies are getting a little bit smarter, well, I mean, that can shift, right? And they need to like, obviously keep an eye on that and make sure what they're doing is relevant uh, and contemporary in their space. So it's fun. I mean, I, I guess back to the whole entire thing. Yeah. I mean, that it is, it is really fun doing that. Um, and it is a different, it is a different, different kind of, uh, I guess, a stark contrast to like what I'm doing in the automotive industry because at the core, it's not necessarily my creative outlet or something I dream about, but it's really, really fun kind of inventing something from nothing. Let's take a moment to hear from our sponsor, Petrolbox. Petrolbox is a monthly service made specifically for the automotive enthusiasts. Each month, they carefully select items including tools, detailing supplies, apparel, garage gear, stickers, and publications to be sent right to your doorstep. It's a curated selection of the latest and greatest gear in the industry. And there's actually two different levels of subscription to choose from. You have the Petrobox Basic, which costs less than 20 bucks a month, and the Petrobox Premium, which gets you even more gear for $39.95 a month. Be sure to check them out at mypetrolbox.com and use the code OVERCREST at checkout to get $6 off your first
first month. Right. Yeah. That for some reason that just triggered an experience I had when I was just out there is I had never been in a Rivian. I, I'd, right. I'd never been in one of those before. And I was hanging out with John, who's one of the designers for Rivian. He had a launch edition there. I said, oh, I've, you know, I'm from Minnesota. We're super backwoods. I've never even seen one of these in person. He's like, oh, well, let's, let's go for a ride. Let's go check this out. And, you know, on, <laughs> the thing is just, it's comically good. Yeah, I know. They are, they are so good that it is hard to describe how good they are. I remember just, and it goes beyond the speed, right? You get on the gas and that thing, I just, I immediately pulled off because it scared the absolute crap out of me. It was, it's so nuts. But anyway, so I was asking him, I'm like, what was it like to design something without having a previous thing that you had to base the thing off of? Like you're just other than the fact that it's a truck. And he's just like, oh, it was amazing. We had so many people from different, you know, different, uh, you know, Bronco or Chevy or whatever. And we all just really love designing on this new thing. And there's something really magical about being able to do that. Right. It's revolutionary as opposed to evolutionary. And I think, you know, that's, that's the play. And don't get me wrong. Like I really enjoy evolutionary design and like pulling the heritage and like all these different pieces out of it. And you can still do that with these other companies. So to a certain degree, I mean, if a company exists, I mean, in certain way, it's always going to be evolutionary. Yeah, but it gets so painful, like with what Dodge is doing right now. It's so yes. painful to see well, the the, yeah, the but, evolution be so like knuckle dragging. But from a context of having a giant company like that, when everything is going electric, like how unbelievably scary is that? And like, when is the right time? And how do you still like Dodge is like the the king of the companies that that like keeps the same chassis for like 400 years, continually upgrades like drivetrain and some panels and people just keep buying. So all of a sudden they're like, like what's exciting about Dodge? They're like, oh yeah, our Jeep. Guess what? It comes with a freaking crazy Hemi. All right, sick, new car, right? So everybody's <laughs> everybody's super pumped, but that's like their MO is like at the end, the Halo product, the GT3 RS. It's like, yo, here's a Hemi. Like they throw it in there and it's, it is exciting. It's crazy. It's cool. Right. So all of a sudden when that goes away, when they're like tidbit of excitement, I'm not saying that some of their designs aren't beautiful and they do a great job in other ways, but you know, that's a big part of their identity. So when that goes away, how do you reinvent yourself there? When's it sounds the right like time? an amazing opportunity to me. Yeah. To me, it sounds sure. incredible. And, and, and to, to be able to, so, I mean, it's super challenging. You think, how are we going to incorporate our heritage, but also be completely fresh. And it seems like they just, they took the fresh part and went, eh. But maybe, but maybe it's not for me and you anyway. Oh, clearly. Like I wouldn't buy one regardless. But if I was some gamer kid and it was like growling at me and doing these weird things, I'm like, oh, wow, that's crazy, man. This is nuts. Like, so maybe me living in my virtual reality world, like this car speaks to me. Like, I have no idea. But obviously these people are pulling design and all these different things out of specific data that they're that they're creating. Right. And I think to a certain degree. Maybe they needed to do that based on their data, but I also think so many of these companies chasing data and chasing these numbers, you know, begin to lose soul because they're applying their specific marketing and branding and and narrative and story apply like it's almost like they're not leading, they're actually following their customers because all the data is pointing to this right. of what their customers do and who they are and all then, then they do that. So nothing's actually ever being reinvented or like driving something new because they're always following their consumer, but their consumer is the one that's buying and trying to follow them. So it becomes a cyclical piece where obviously you're going to sell more, but eventually people are going to wake up and say, wait, why am I buying this? This is just so, you know, boring. And, and sometimes 
It's very hard to quantify cool. And I think in a world even where I live in, you know, it's very difficult because you you want to do cool stuff. You want to do all these things, but like to a certain degree, you're held to a standard of, you know, making sure that your data shows that there's engagement, there's reach, there's, you know, I whatever it, else. You know, KPI I hate it. We've had this conversation so many times. I just, it's, to yeah. me, it's almost like you take, if you take a, a JPEG image and you copy it and it gets compressed a little bit and then you copy it again and you copy it again and again and again and again and again and again and, again, and pretty soon... The compression has gotten so bad that you can't even relate it to what the original image was. And it's just this blob. And I feel like that's kind of the way everything is right now is everything is just kind of this this homogenous blob where if you look back at the the 50s, the 60s and a little bit of the 70s, where were they getting their metrics from? Or was it just dudes that went, I think this is going to be awesome. Do I have well, like do I have this distorted romantic view of what things were? I don't it just seems I mean, so much they, better. They, they they got it because of sales. If the sale flopped or the parts not selling the product, I mean then you're not winning, right? I mean But they don't do that anymore. Everything no, has to no, win. No. Everything must win. Well, even things that don't make them money are still a win because they got so many views. And that's part of the problem too, is all of a sudden, like, you know, they're hitting these things. They have 2 million views and four sales. So like there's celebration on the views, but sometimes engagement doesn't sell product. Right. You know, like you see plenty of brands out there on Instagram that are like basically big brands making meme pages to get tons of engagement where there's absolutely no brand value being pushed into this other than the fact that they can say that they have 350,000 followers, which that's great. But if you can't engage your followers to purchase a product or give them an experience that they can actually enjoy to buy into your brand, then what's the point? Just making them laugh? I mean, come on. We all sit here and share memes around with everybody because it's funny. I mean, it, it is. But that's you funny. can't eat a meme basically <laughs> no. what it comes down no. to there's a no, polaroid just had something the other day, like last week they made a post that says coming and i'm and you don't have to hate on the brand with me if you don't want to because i know that it's particular that you work with brands i don't think you want to do that but this is just an example is polaroid said something along the lines of september 21st something is special coming it's not a camera and i went what the fuck is it what is it? What's it going to be? So I, 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 I set a timer on my phone. I love, I love Polaroid. You know, I was yeah, around Polaroid as a kid. It's a legendary brand. Polaroid yeah. is, in terms of brand recognition, bar none is in, in America. If you're over 30, even if you're under 30, I guess now they have all the instant cameras. Wherever. Everybody knows what Polaroid is. Everybody. Yeah. So I was like, I was course. excited. I'm like, what is this going to be? Is it going to be some sort of film? Is it going to be some? I, I didn't know. I had no idea. Right. And they come out with a fucking boombox. What? And I just went, "Are you kidding me?" And it's and it's this and it's this film of these people having fun and and they're just rolling around and they've got this Polaroid boombox and I just went, "Wow. Demonstrable absolute failure to me." And they just lost me for forever. Because they they abused my excitement for their brand, they abused me. And they, how do they not know that they're they're doing this? How do they not right. know that they're abusing me? They took advantage <laughs> of me and made me excited. Screw you. Well, maybe nobody was buying their four hundred dollar film anymore. I mean, it is expensive. I mean, I guess how they're just trying to stay afloat. And I'm not saying I enjoy what they're doing, obviously. I mean, I, I, I enjoy companies that keep to their heritage, especially things like that. But 
obviously sometimes if you don't change, <laughs> you meet your end, but I don't think that's necessarily the play. I don't know where I can relate Polaroid to a boom box, like where that fits into my brain, that that's something that, you know, it just I seems like desperation, you know, and, yeah. and they're, maybe they're looking for some sort of engagement thing. Anyway, that was just something I thought of as just this absolute brand failure. And it, it it's more anyway. So um, I want to talk a little bit about Matt Crook when like Zubahor days, like what you're, you're, you're young, you're in your te- in your teens, you're driving around what a Mark three or a Mark two. What are you, what are you driving? What is, what is the, uh, the Matt Crook of these days doing? Well, I was doing Mark three and Mark two. Um, I guess it's actually kind of a funny story. I mean, I guess in the beginning, I mean, um, I was kind of just working at Jamba juice and, uh, just wanting a car and bumped into a couple people that really, really enjoyed Volkswagens. Um, did you enjoy Volkswagens or were you agnostic at the time? Um, probably always leaned more towards European cars. Um, there was just something special about them. I always enjoyed the Mark II GLI. My friends have driven those. I mean, my, my family came all from, you know, Chevy, you know, my father has his 73 Camaro. He bought brand new. My, my grandfather, you know, had his 59 Corvette since new, since, you know, until he passed away. I mean, you know, it was, uh, kind of an American family. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm the black sheep over here jumping in with this, uh, you know, Volkswagen, Volkswagen deal. But I mean, it seems like almost every family would have been like that back then, because if you think of like JDM German, None of it was something that you could really do anything with until the late eighties, early nineties. Everything right. else before that was so economy based, other than a GTI was, or it's maybe a CRX SI or something, but it was so minimal. There wasn't much there. And then all of a sudden the late eighties, early nineties, they were like, Whoa. Right. Oh yeah. Everything kind of changed at that point. And, you know, I mean, that was always exciting for me to see these little cars buzzing around and, I enjoyed the videos of them ripping around and doing their thing as opposed to more muscle or, I mean, I was the idiot going to like street races and doing stuff down here. Um, what did your dad you know, think of what you were into? Did, um, did he care? Was he like, ah, oh, this stupid Japanese German stuff. <laughs> no, he thought it was really cool. He laughed at my friend, Brian Hessian when he pulled up in his automatic <laughs> civic EX with an anodized blue uh, exhaust tip to go with his <laughs> emblems and everything else. He goes, what the heck's that hanging off the back of your car, man? Like, you know, just, and, and back then it was like, you know, auto zone accessories, man. You know? Right. Um, but no, my dad actually really liked my car. You know, my Mark three, I started, like I said, at Jamba juice and I finally, I really wanted these different cars and, you know, my dad kind of went and went to a dealership and he said, Hey, I'll help you with a little bit of a down payment, you know, on your car and went to this Kia dealership actually. in in 99 and found a, uh, found, um, you know, forest green Mark three golf over tan cloth, which, you know, <laughs> at, yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the, my favorite car was the jazz blue GTI VR six on like, access touring cups that are bright white and it just like oh it was so amazing and then my dad shows me this one and kind of was getting excited and i'm like well i i guess i do need a car so i 
you know, I picked it up and I'm like, dang, this is, I'm trying as hard as I can to make it racy or do whatever else I, I can to, to make it my thing as opposed to just being a forest green golf with, you know, you're, you're manually shifting that automatic everywhere. Oh man. Oh no, it was, it was manual. Oh, it, it was. was okay. Okay. Yeah. So it was a manual two liter. I would have, I definitely wouldn't have bought anything. No, okay. but my friend Brian, I told him to buy a civic SI, you know, EM, you know, coupe or whatever, or EK. I think it's an EM, the coupe, but, um, you know, I said, Hey, you got to get the SI man, electron blue. And then all of a sudden he shows up, you know, and his mom bought him a car and he's like, Oh dude, I got the, I got, the, don't worry. It's still VTEC, but it's automatic. I'm like, what? Oh, no. Automatic. He's like, well, dude, you can't even, you can't even hold a drink or eat in the car. If you're doing manual, like that's like terrible. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, Brian, you're insane. So obviously, you know, a year later he's manually shifting, you know, racing street racing with his VTEC. And then he's holding, got a Mark four GTI one eight T, but you know, um, back to my thing. Yes. Um, I, I did, I had a lot of fun with it. I love the touring cars it was always my favorite thing. So I, I, I put that car through the ringer with like team dynamics and all these different wheels. How Miglia are you discovering? And, what is, what is discovering modifying a car like back then? Gosh, Cause well, it, even guess, vortex wasn't even really a thing yet. So well, how are you discovering we, we this were, stuff? Well, so, so, I mean, I was having fun. I mean, greed speed was going on with new speed. I mean, I knew Gary and Aaron and, and, and everybody down there. So, I mean, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on with new speed and a lot of fun stuff, but I always wanted my car lower. I always wanted my car to be set up slightly different. It was kind of conservative in a lot of ways. Um, but I just wanted more. Um, and while working at Jamba Juice, I like, somebody told me, Hey, there's this spot that just opened up. It's like they have every European part you could ever dream of. They're in Simi Valley. They're from Germany. And I was like, what? My God, that's insane. So I drove over there and, um, yeah, talked with the owner. And uh, two days later, I had a job. Um, they had just kind of landed. Um, and they had like a, I don't even know, thousand-page catalog um, full of just a million different European parts that you'd never seen here from like Rieger to Bonrath to Enpro to like JE Design to just, I mean, the craziest, coolest different products that were going on. And um, it just kind of reignited a lot of stuff in me. And, and, and I felt like, wow, I can do this stuff with my Volkswagen and be different than what everybody else is doing here. Because at the time, it was either JT Motorsport doing like replica opt and, and Oettinger stuff. Obviously, Brad um, doing, you know, BW Sport on the on the East Coast. Um, but on the West Coast, there just wasn't much there. And nobody was doing the Euro thing at that point, you know. Um, and uh, I felt like, this could, this is rad. This could be different. So in the end, yeah, I mean, my car had you know, Audi door handles on it. It was painted, you know, Volvo saffron, saffron pearl metallic, you know, coilovers, exhaust full, you know, features roll cage, um, Koenig seats, like all set up. I mean, the car was just beautiful, pulled fenders, everything. And, and at that point, my dad was very proud of me, you know, being a 20 year old kid with like a $40,000 golf. <laughs> it's just completely repainted. It, it you know, it, it went to SEMA in 2002, you know, for the first time. And, uh, it was just, it was, it was living the dream, you know? Um, and then I decided, you know, um, I kind of got, I started playing music and stuff and kind of got a little bit tired uh, of the scene at that point and, uh, sold my car in 2004 and, uh, just went and backpacked Europe for a long time and, you know, came back and just, why, why did you, music. I mean, do you just, I mean, that's a big leap. We, why, yeah, why? I don't know. I just kind of got tired of, 
a lot of stuff. I sold my Mark II. I sold Mark III. It was kind of in this, I, I think it was in the realm where like the Volkswagen scene had taken this weird like street rod turn um, and did like, and all this like rat rod and all these weird things started happening, um, which I think were really cool. But like, I just lost interest in it because of where everything was at. And to be honest, like the reason I was into what I was doing was because of the people. Right. So, you know, as things shifted and changed, I kind of said, Hey, you know, I'm going to move on to the next part of my life and do my thing. And I came back and then a year later I bought my Harlequin golf and, you know, kind of, obviously it's, it's things that I enjoy, but yeah, I mean, so where in this, where, where in this arc of, I started working for Jamba Juice, started working for this tuning company, went to SEMA, went on a backpacking trip. When in your mind did you go, okay, I'm going to start trying to do something on my own? Oh, I never did that. I'm still I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it, there, there had to have been like a, I'm not working for this guy. I'm, I'm going to start doing this. Um, so, I mean, basically, yeah. I mean, it was... My dad was always worried about me, you know, kind of, oh, Matt's such a free spirit, you know, and he's got, you know, skinny jeans and weird hair and stuff and, you know, and the music and everything. And just, you know, it was kind of, my dad loved me, but yeah, I thought I was weird and I probably was weird. Um, but, you know, I was enjoying myself and having fun. And at that point, I'm like, I'm in my twenties. Like, why do I have to, you know, facilitate this idea of like, I have to, I have to know what I'm doing and, and, and do all these things, you know, like I was doing my own school. I didn't graduate high school. I didn't graduate college. I didn't, you know, and, and I, and I, it's a, it's a long story there, but, um, I should have, I, I have many things and I have half scholarships to other places and things like that for taking up academic decathlons and all these different things that I did as a kid. But like, I don't know. It just didn't interest me. I, I, I learned everything and absorbed everything, but I didn't like doing homework. I was skateboarding at that point. <laughs> I was literally skateboarding, doing demos, going on tour. I was on my way to going pro and I, you know, hurt myself. So that stopped and cars began, but like, I don't think I ever really realized. I think the main part for me, I guess, when I came back from, I left being in the fashion industry and kind of working for friends companies and starting my own and doing different things. I got my first taste of doing something on my own when I, me and my good friend Kyle started something, doing a capsule collection for Target and pitching them on something. But right when the crash happened in 2008, they pulled the plug just because obviously they're not going to put money into things that aren't going to make money at that time. So I jumped out. Um, I got a job for some replica wheel company and, uh, for six months it was a good gig. And I kind of, you know, while I was working at the replica wheel company, I was kind of like, man, all these people want spacers and adapters, you know, like they want to put these wheels on different cars. Like we should figure out how to do this. So I started adapt tech speedwear, um, which was an adapter and spacer company in 2008. Um, and it started doing extremely well. Um, and, uh, I had someone else private you know, labeling that for me. Um, so what ended up happening in the end was it became so successful that I was actually taking his business. So I ended up just selling the business back to him. So literally I just took his product, rebranded it, and then he had to buy it back because I was too much competition. So <laughs> it was kind of a funny piece. Um, and I think right then when I figured it out, I said, you know, I was also working for another company after that one and I was spending my time working for this person. And I said, you know, I... <laughs> I'm wasting my time working for this person when I could be doing something on my own and building and creating and, and kind of dreaming, you know? So I think that was the point where I was like, Hey, 
I need to do things on my own. Uh, I still want to do things for rad people and work with people, but I want to focus on building something, you know, myself. And that's when I was just about to start my own shop and me and Brad had always talked out and he'd always talked about hiring me. So Brad and I kind of partnered uh, and reinvented 1552 at that time. Now, before we get too much further, let's take a break here and talk about our sponsor, Olberg Car Care. Olberg is your source of professional detailing compounds and supplies that is research tested and developed by professional detailers themselves. These are the guys that are actually passionate about detailing and know firsthand what makes a good product. And they truly are great products. I love it's a simple, foolproof two-step system, easy, and gives an amazing finish. And right now, they're offering a whopping 20% off your order when you use the code OVERCREST. The discount code is good not only on OBERCCARCARE.com, but also on DetailedImage.com and CarSuppliesWarehouse.com. Please go check them out today. So 1552 was something that you did for a long time. And we all, we all know that you, you, you worked there. And then, you know, not too long ago, you left. And yep. you were there for a while. I mean, that was a l- big chunk of your life doing 1552. 12 years. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. W- were you scared? What was it like pushing out of that and leaving that comfort uh, zone? No, not at all. Because I think a lot of people like would be in that situation and feel like, it's a legacy piece. And in some ways it is, I'm very proud of what, you know, we created as a team and put together, but like, it's, I'm not a one hit wonder. I mean, this is, and this, I wasn't creating this as like my, my ender, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, there's many songs in this album and I'm going to keep playing. And it's like, I, you know, I'm excited to kind of get out. I mean, to be honest, my, most of my anxiety at, at that point after stepping away and resigning as president was not that I didn't know what to do. Um, but it was almost that I had too many things to do. And like, what do I do? What do I choose? How do I figure this out? What if I make a wrong turn? I mean, that's the anxiety because I want to do so many things. And I think even right now, I'm kind of just even still riding that wave to a certain degree and figuring certain things out with a couple different startups and working with some great people and kind of just figuring out what's next. But a lot of people wanted my help and to, to, to talk and either consult or design and, do things. And, um, yeah, then I partnered up with Nevin Pontius and, um, the rest is kind of history right now. We're just having a blast. So you, you started it's it's 10% or bust, right? Yep. Yeah. Or 10%. 10%, Yeah. Um, or bust is just like a funny kind of ender, but (laughs) so what is 10%? What do you, what do you mean by that? What's the, the nomenclature? Well, I think for most people, um, you see so many companies out there doing things and, you know, I mean, I think, you know, in terms of learning, right, um, how to do things and what things mean and all the, I think any company can take it to 90% um, off of something that you've learned. Um, but that last 10% is really what sets that company apart uh, and meets the consumer where they're at and understands the consumer and does exciting things and different things. Um, and I think that last 10% is not something that you can learn. It's just either you have it or you don't. And that's kind of the magic. Um right. So I think what Nevin and I came together, he said, Hey, you know, like, this is really what we do is we bring the magic, you know, we set things apart. We do what we love and we kind of help people tell their story, um, through branding and kind of marketing and just creative. Um, so in that it's been really fun because we're kind of able to show, you know, give people their full potential, uh, and kind of walk them through that. And I think that's kind of the magic and I enjoy, doing the magic part <laughs> for sure. 
that's that, that's the fun part. So, what in in terms of this entrepreneurship, how do you how do you not get swallowed by this? Because one thing that I I struggle with with Overcrest is I'm always thinking about it. Like I'm always, right. no matter what I do, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. I've called you up and be like, dude, I got this idea. This is gonna, it's gonna be great. Got this one's gonna be amazing. We're gonna do this. We're gonna do that. We're gonna do this thing. And then that happens to me all the time. I can't. I can't turn it off to the point where I just don't tell anybody about my ideas anymore because everybody's like, okay, yep, another thing that, you know, Chris thinks is a great idea, blah, blah, blah. How do you turn that off? How do you, how do you deal with it in terms of going back to your family and turning off that, that spigot? I mean, I'm still learning and you can talk talk to my wife. I mean, it's, it's ridiculously hard. And I don't know if it's necessarily entrepreneurship as much as it is just us. I mean, I know lots of people who can stab people in the back and do all these different things and just and not even care and just go along their their life. Some people don't stress about anything that's going on and they're just doing their thing. And maybe it's an internal thing or they're not necessarily showing it. But I mean, yeah, I'm always thinking about this stuff, always wanting to create, always have something in my mind, always like, you know, thriving on like the the movement of like pushing things around and doing stuff. So, I mean, I think for me, there's like this awkward, like, glutton for punishment type thing where it's like oh man that just stresses me the heck out but but on the other side it also makes me feel alive so it's like this weird thing that i don't know if i'll ever be able to turn it off and i think even going on vacation it's like the first few days are like i'm a ball of stress trying to get you know figure things out before i can actually finally relax and it's like yeah i feel bad for my wife sometimes but you know it's uh it's not easy i mean entrepreneurship is not easy um, but in a weird way, I feel like I didn't even like choose to be an entrepreneur. I feel like I, I just make a terrible employee. So I might as well do things on my own, you know? <laughs> what can you say to other people that are thinking about doing something like this, that want to step out of their comfort zone? Something that, that is good about all of this, that, yeah, that I think, you know, like what, what can you tell other people that are thinking about doing something to inspire them to t- take the leap? I mean, just, you can always start on the side. You know, just start as a side hustle, try something out. I mean, the the worst thing that can happen is fail. I mean, like, well, actually the worst thing that can happen is you don't even try at all and you're stuck in a situation where you're ridiculously unhappy. And I think, you know, I think every single person out there has the ability to, you know, learn um, something that they love to do or something that they want to do or something that can make them money or whatever it is that they're seeking. You know, it's just a matter of like giving it a go and learning it. And I think people are too afraid of that, but like things that scare me the most are people that I know and things that are just too, I know are unbelievably talented and too afraid to take the step to jump out to create something because in all realistic, it is scary, but. Because you have to put yourself out there for everybody to see your idea will be there for everyone to see you're putting your idea out there. And if you never put it out there, you don't have to be judged by anyone. Totally. And that's the fear. But for me, a big, big part for me, especially in the last like couple of years since having my first son uh, is really like kind of reevaluating like my time, um, my, my buckets of how I do business and what I do and, and kind of like valuing myself. So it's kind of like, I want to be happy and I know how I want to live and I don't want to compromise there. So my goal is to have what I do as a career adapt to my lifestyle as opposed to my lifestyle adapting to my career. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I don't want to wait to enjoy life. My focus is now and also creating um, a life that, 
is dynamic and complete and can change and I can move with it and do things and, and be creative and also like spend a ton of time with my family. I mean, because my time is, is, is as I'm getting older, you know, I'm getting uh, closer to death and it's like my, my time is getting less. So it's really supply and demand. So what my time is worth now actually will be worth more in the future. Right. So it's supply and demand. And it's like, if you want to, if you want to basically you work with me or do these different things, like my time is worth this much and you're going to have to pay this much to take me away from my family. So that's pretty much what it boils down to, man. I mean, it's, it is, it is the most finet resource. We all trade time for whatever it is. Exactly. We trade it for time with other people. We trade it for a car. We trade our talent for X, Y, or Z, and that's and that's the way it is. Mike, I interviewed my grandpa or my grandfather Frank, and it was this thing. They were, you know, they're they're still around. They're my grandma and grandpa are both in their nineties now, and I did awesome. this probably when they were like eighty three, eighty four, and they were still real sharp. And I did this huge interview with my grandfather about his life, the whole arc of his life, from growing up in the Dust Bowl to becoming an electrical engineer. You know, he okay. didn't have electricity and went to school smelling like pig shit every day to, to being an engineer at, a, at, a, at a, a mining company. Anyway, so one of the questions I asked him is always like, what do you, you know, you've been here for 83, 84, 85 years. What do you regret? And he says, I, I wish I would have taken more risk with my career. I wish, and I don't know exactly. I think he just stayed in his lane too much. Yeah, like, my dad did that too. I think I think it's also a product of like that generation, right? It is, but but it's just it's just the the regret of not like I don't know. Maybe he should have went for his own patents, or he should have uh, designed his own thing, or or I know he was really into a bunch of other stuff. Maybe he could. I think he just wishes he would have done more with his time, and that is right. That is cliche as hell. You hear yeah. it all the time. The days are long, the years are short, right? Yep. Um, it's, it, you hear it all the time and, and I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it right now. Cause I know my kids are home right now and I want to see them, yep. you know, I want to see them and I want to be with them and I want to, and I want to do all the things I want to do with Overcrest and I want to hang out with Matt Crook and I want to hang out with my other friends and I want to do all these things. But that time is, is finesse. So you better, you, we all have to sacrifice to make we all have to sacrifice doing things we don't want to do to get to do things that we want to do. And if we didn't do that, the contrast of what would make the thing that we're doing that we want to do awesome wouldn't be there. Okay. So yeah. it, would, it wouldn't make the thing, the awesome thing, awesome if everything we were doing is awesome. All right. So Correct. the sacrifice of everything that we're doing to, to do what we want is important, but that doesn't mean that we can't spend more time striving or sacrificing to get to do more, to make that slice of the pie bigger than it was before of the, of the enjoyment of the, of the risk and the reward and all that other stuff. I, yes. 100%. There, that's my diatribe on that, I guess. <laughs> no, and you're a hundred percent correct. I mean, that's, and that's what I was saying. And that's kind of at the core of what I was saying is just, we have to slow things down and we have to like figure out our priorities because staring at Instagram and comparing yourself to the other people who look happy, but aren't, you know, actually will get you nowhere. And obviously everybody says that everybody knows that, but mm-hmm we continue to do that. And I think, you know, those dopamine hits are real, man. Oh yeah. But like me moving out to Ojai and kind of getting away from a lot of the stuff was super helpful too. just kind of, kind of restarting, kind of like refocusing. Um, 
just kind of retelling that story even to myself of like, what do I want to do? You know, what do I want to change? What are the things that I want to see grow? You know, who are the people that I want to help? Um, Cause that, at the end of the day, that when that's fulfilling, you know what I mean? It's not even really the paycheck. It's, it's, it's producing something of greatness, whether that's your child, whether that's, you know, a relationship with someone or helping someone else do something awesome. Right. For sure. You know, and as like, you think about looking forward, you know, where do you see all of this car culture stuff going? You know, we're 40, I'm 41. You're turning 40 or you are 40. I think you're 40 or so. I'm 40. You're yeah. 40. Yep. Yep. Fucking a Jeez. you're 40. So in 30 years, I hope to still have my driver's license. What, <laughs> what is, what does this all look like? You know, what? You, you're so good at seeing the bright side of things. I'm so good at going, and of being a cynic, I call myself a cynic and a realist, right? I think you think the dystopian future looks beautiful, though. But that's also an issue. <laughs> where do you, where do you see this car stuff going? Are we going to be doing an overcrest rally and in EVs maybe, or is the is the drive to explore and travel and is that all universal, or is where where do you see all this hap- going towards? All of it, the whole thing. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, it just feels like so surreal right now with so many things that are like being forced. Nothing really feels organic to me, you know, in in a large scale because it just feels like everything is forced in life these days. Um, You know, every action has a counteraction. Everything's kind of just so up and heightened. Um, It's 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 exhausting on your nerves. I don't know where things are going to go. I mean, I hope. I hope it goes in a good, a good, a good way. I mean, I don't know. I can see, I, I do see from a, from a design standpoint, like from, for electric cars, I am excited about that. I have a lot of fun seeing what some of these designers are putting together and like having fun and really showcasing their talent in designing something that doesn't need an internal combustion engine. It's um, cool living in this period of time, yeah. you know, it is. imagine li- most of your car life being from the forties to the eighties and seeing, Oh, Hey, fuel injection. Cool. Right. Versus now it's like this whole revolution. It's neat. No, it is. And we're going to have, you know, people are trying to get to Mars and there's like this cool, in a, I guess in a positive way, you know, there really is some cool spark happening and some serious movement towards just the future. And I think maybe that's I why think, I'm so critical of it because I know that it is the future and it needs to be done right now or it's going to yeah. fuck it all up. But I think, I don't know. I guess I hope that right will, basically right itself (laughs) and and become right i mean i I mean some of my favorite cars you talk about the rivian and all these different things like that's cool people are really able to you know design and come up with some really rad stuff and it works people respond to it you know right people are hungry for new design like hyundai came out with that 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 like coupe looking futuristic crazy like future retro like racer and everybody lost their mind and that's exciting to me i mean i feel like these responses are warranting these companies doing crazy things. And I want that because the eighties and the nineties were just the same thing over and over again. I mean, there was no excitement. Right. Um, and I'm not going to say that. I mean, I was excited. Obviously I love probably my favorite cars are from that era, but it just, it's because I guess maybe my favorite cars are that era because people, they took, you know, soap boxes and turned them into race cars. And I think that's pretty cool. But like, right. You know, I, I don't know. I guess from a design standpoint in the future, I get excited about thinking like, I guess, 
what is possible and the way things are going with technology and everything, it almost feels like anything is possible. So it becomes this crazy, interesting, exciting future. Um, and I just hope people are responsible with the negative sides of that as well. Yeah. I think we have a, I think there's a lot of responsibility lies with, um, journalists. I think a lot of responsibility lies with consumers to make the right choices and we'll see where it goes. I, I hope it goes in a positive direction. Uh, we've, all, we've, all, we've all seen Terminator, you know. Yeah. Do so. I? Do if we start getting into AI, we're going to be here forever. I, I can't do it. Yeah. I okay. Can't do okay. It. I'll, I'll step <laughs> off. But man, geez. Okay. I mean, you're talking future and scary stuff. But anyway, yes. Back to cars. Um, I don't know, man. I'm. I guess I'm trying to like figure out how to really enjoy growing older and slow things down and do it with the right people, you know. So just make my well deeper and not as wide. Um, I think that's important. I only have so much time. So when I choose to spend time with certain people or going on a rally, it better well be something unbelievably amazing because it's taking me away from something that's already the best thing in my life. And it's definitely not cars. <laughs> right. Yeah, man. Well, in terms of your time, I really appreciate you hanging out with me today. Um, I, I Great conversation. And I hope we get to do it again sometime. Yeah, no, me too, man. And I, I want to, I want to see some rad things, you know, uh, continue to happen over there. And I'm, I'm excited to see what's up your sleeve for next year. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Chris. Have a good one. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.